just going to read tonight from Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23. We'll just pray. Lord, we do just thank you, Lord God, for the hope of the church tonight, Lord God. We do just thank you, Lord God. When we die, Lord God, we shall fly away. Lord God, we do just thank you, Lord God, that you washed us and you saved us in your precious blood, Lord God. We do just come before you tonight, bringing this wee meeting before you, Lord God, praying, Lord God, that you would just be one of our number. We thank you for your presence in the midst this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you are a God that still speaks to your people, Lord God. We do just come tonight, Lord God, asking, oh God, that you would, Lord God, just speak, Lord God, tonight, Lord God. You would just speak to these hearts, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, those that aren't saved, Lord God, would get right with you, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, your blessing upon us. I pray your blessing upon your word. I pray your blessing upon every life in this house tonight, Lord God. We thank you and we give you all the praise and all the glory tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Just going to read from Luke chapter 23 and verse... Verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them, deriding him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. We'll end the reading there. I just want to linger around the cross for a while. I just want to take a fresh look at the Savior because we all know when we get away from the cross and when we get away from Calvary, we can forget so easily what Jesus has done. We can forget what a sinner we were and we can forget how wonderful it is to have our sins forgiven. The more we gaze at the cross, we're reminded of the awful awful pain and payment for sin. The more we gaze at the cross and stare around Calvary, the more we're reminded about his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. Friends, I want to preach tonight on this simple thought, a hopeless case. We've just read in this passage that there are three men hanging on a cross, one dying in sin, one dying to sin, the other on the central cross dying for sin. And what would only seem like a hopeless situation. And if you had to walk by that cross or those crosses on that day, if you had to been in the vicinity of those three men, if you had to walk by on that day, you probably would have shook your head and said, a hopeless cause, a hopeless case, a hopeless situation. And as they hung there, bloodied, battered and beaten, awaiting death, you would have said, surely this is the end for these men. Surely no good can come from this. Surely nothing can be done for them. A hopeless situation and a hopeless case. And as I go through this life, and as we go through this life, there seems to be nothing but people who are in hopeless situations. At least they think it's hopeless. Hopeless cases, people that are living isolated and lonely with no hope for tomorrow. People with broken homes, lonely, loss of loved ones, struggling and tormented in their minds. So many their bodies have been broken with sickness, disease and disaster. So many lives broken by cancer and sickness and pain. So many homes broken by violence, divorce, debt. People crippled by overbearing circumstances of life. Just trying to keep their heads above water. The world is filled with broken lives, 
So many broken and fragile minds, broken by drugs, alcohol, crime, bereavement, lives around us filled with broken dreams, failure, missed ambitions, defeat, and ultimate disappointment, hopeless situations. These are the symptoms of our modern world depriving them of peace and happiness and hope. But friends, I want to tell you tonight, there is a hope in this world. There is a lasting peace and joy. There is a shelter in times of trouble and one who will keep you from all harm. You see, friends, tonight the church, we just sung about it. It has a hope. There is, friends, a hope and that person is the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is our only hope in this world. The Bible says that we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it's Christ in you. The hope of glory. Our hope isn't in money or the things of this world which fade away. It isn't a hope so. It isn't a maybe so. Our hope is a confident hope. Our hope is in a person. Our hope is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious hope of the church. That one day Christ is going to return for his bride. And that we shall be caught up to meet him in the air. And the day by and by. One day we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. We heard it, friends, last week. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will raise first. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this corruption shall put on incorruption and we shall be raised on the everlasting life. Soon in corruption, we're fading away. There's aches, there's pains, there's sorrows, there's sadness. When we go to the graveside to bury someone, there's tears, there's agony, there's pain, there's soon in corruption, friends. But friends, that won't be the end. But one day, we're going to be raised with a new and a glorious body. Friends, there's hope for the church tonight. Soon in corruption, this corruption shall put on incorruption a new body that will have no pain, a new body that will never experience cancer, friends, that will never corrupt, that will never be destroyed. And we're going to be raised to meet him in the earth. The trumpet will sound. The Bible says we'll be changed into his likeness, friends. What an incredible hope. We're going to go to our heavenly home where there's no more sorrow, there's no more sickness, there's no more pain. Paul says when this corruption puts on incorruption, it will be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Friends, what an incredible hope for the church of Jesus Christ. It's Christ within us, the hope of glory. Sad, depressed, all the oppression of the world coming upon us. But friends, there's a hope within you, friends, and that is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Friends, what an incredible hope we have in this world. But so many hopeless cases living without hope. We say they're too far gone. We say they're too far from where they ought to be. There's just no hope for them. But friends, that's what I want to deal with tonight because that's what they could have said once about you or me. I find, friends, a God that this Bible says that there's nothing too hard for him. Friends, I want to tell you I found a God who deals and specializes in hopeless cases and hopeless situations tonight. But these men were in a hopeless situation. You see, the first thing I want you to notice is these men, these thieves have chosen a hopeless path. You see, friends, people don't just come become hopeless just by chance. It just doesn't happen out of the blue. Yes, there's troubles. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's dire circumstances. Yes, people are born into terrible places and terrible things, friends. But friends, so often the trouble comes to us from the choices that we make in this life. And friends, tonight you're going to have to make the great choice again tonight. Probably a choice some of you have made a few times before. The choice to accept or reject the person and the lovely person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, friends, there's going to be a choice. You're going to make the greatest choice a man or woman, boy or girl, will ever have to make in this life, whether to accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But sadly, friends, tonight, so many make the wrong choice. Jesus says there's a broad path and a narrow path. The broad path always leads to destruction. And there's always many that are on this path. The majority are on the broad path to destruction. But he says there's a narrow path. And it starts with a narrow door. And it starts with one choice. And that one choice is Christ. But it always leads to one place. It always leads to everlasting life. Yes, there's troubles. Yes, there's trials. But friends, it always leads to Jesus Christ. It will rob you, friends, the choice to refuse Christ. It will rob you of everything you ever hold dear. Jesus said, the thief, which is the devil, 
He's come to steal, to, to, to kill and destroy your life. He has one purpose in this life. It's to steal, it's to kill, and it's to destroy your life. But Jesus says, I've come. I've come, friends. He has come to do this, but I've come now to give you life and life more abundantly. He has come to defeat the powers of the wicked one tonight. He's come that you might have life, not just a normal life, not just an average life, but he's come to give you a life that's to the full. We make choices in these lives, and they can rob us of everything that God has attended for us. These men had made some wrong choices along the way, and it brought them to a hopeless place. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us some of the names that were used to describe them. The first name used is a thief. And we all know what a thief is. A thief is somebody who takes something that doesn't belong to him. A thief is somebody who doesn't work for it. A thief is somebody who doesn't want to pay for something. What he's going to do, he's going to get it in an unlawful way. He's going to take it just because he wants it. This man had chosen to be a thief. Friends, you don't want to live next to a thief. You don't want to live with a thief. And if I understand my Bible correctly, friends, there won't be any thieves in heaven. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, idolaters, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor executioners shall inherit, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says they have no inheritance in this kingdom. Paul puts it this way, friends, if you're a thief, you better repent and you better get right with God. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4 and 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with it, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. One man says, you know how you help a thief? Teach him that giving is better than taking. Teach that thief that giving is better than taking. One man, one gospel describes and says he was a malefactor. What is a malefactor? That's simply a person that is a bad doer. This man, in other words, any choice that he had, he would have done wrong. He chose to be a bad person. We might understand the word better if we realize they used it upon Jesus. They have to remember that they're lying. They're lying about Jesus. When this happens, we read the story. It tells us they bring him to Pilate. And Pilate says, why have you brought him here? And they said, if he were not a malefactor, we wouldn't have delivered him up unto thee. And this is what they're saying. They're saying this man that we have delivered up is so bad that the only thing left to do with him is lock him up. Friends, so often happens as a man or a woman sins away their opportunity for grace. They die without Christ and they go to a lost eternity because there's nothing else can be done with them. They sin away until they have to go to a lost eternity. Mark says... He was a transgressor. We've no, what, we've no bother understanding what a thief is. We've no, under, no bother understanding what a bad doer is. But what's a transgressor? A transgressor is simply woman, someone who crosses boundaries. Someone who has no respect for limits. When he sees a boundary, he doesn't care about it. When he sees a boundary, he doesn't think, well, this is for my good. When he sees a boundary, he doesn't think this is going to protect him. He says, I'm not going to stay inside of this boundary. He says, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. Friends, how many of us broke the boundaries before we were saved? Friends, the world is now putting boundaries on us to keep us in check. But friends, God puts boundaries on us to keep us safe, not to condemn us, not to make us religious, not to beat us over the head with a big stick. Friends, the Bible says he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but through that son, friends, everyone might be saved. Jesus Christ has come to save you tonight. He's come to save you from the bondage. He says if the son shall set you free, you'll be free indeed. No more bondage, no more chains, no more hopelessness. The Bible says stand fast. In the liberty which Christ has set you free. Friends, many choices to be made in this life. Friends, the final one then, John calls him this. He said he refers to him as two other men that were with him. He just calls him another. It seems his name is not worth mentioning. His life is not worth remembering. He's just another. You see, this is what sin will do. It just leaves you as a statistic. It takes away your personality. It takes away who you are. 
And it leaves you as if you're no one. That's what sin does when it reaches the end. Friends, whenever your life is over, is that how you want to be remembered? These men made bad choices. But friends, I want to tell you tonight, these choices rob. Many choices to be made in this life. What time we should get up, what time we should go to bed, what clothes we should wear as we get older, what school we should go to. And then even some of us have the option of what job we should get. Then it's girlfriends, wives, husbands, who our group of friends are, what car we should buy, which house, which holiday, how many kids we should have. A life, friends, consumed by choices. But the Bible says the thief, which is the devil, he'll deceive you about sin. He'll deceive you into thinking that you're making the right choices. He'll convince you that this is the way to go. He'll tell you you're all right. He'll tell you that it'll work out fine. He'll promise you the world. He'll tell you that you'll have great success. He'll tell you that you're right and your mother and your father and everybody else is wrong. But friends, in the drive for freedom, be careful of the voice that tells you that you're making the right decision. Friends, the wrong choices rob. They'll put you on a hopeless path. The wrong choices will bring you to a hopeless place. I've testified about it many times, friends. As a young man, I remembered as if it was yesterday. I was just turning 16. I was in the children's home. And I just began to sell drugs at all the best clobber, all the latest devices and computers before mobiles were a really big thing. I used to run around with a pager on the belt. I'd walk out of that children's home on bright, crisp mornings. And I had a confidence, friends, that I was making the right choices. But friends, I want to tell you I was being duped. I want to tell you something. There's nothing in this world that will last forever. You see, the thief was deceiving me. You see, the thief never told me I'd never be back in full-time education. He never told me I'd never have an exam to my name. He never told me because I had nothing to do, I'd end up drinking all day with a drink problem. He never told me about the parties and the paranoia. He never told me that it would be violent. Never told me I wouldn't be able to walk down the main street on my own. Never told me about the cars of men that would chase me with hurly bats down the street. He never told me about the sleepless nights on tile floors. Never told me about the petrol bombs that would come through the window as I slept. Never told me I'd be addicted to cannabis. Never told me these choices I would make would make me lose my mind. Never told me these choices would make me lose my kids. Never told me these choices would put me in jail. Never told me these choices would leave me trying to drink and drug myself into an oblivion. Never told me about the anxiety and the torment and the fear that these choices would bring. Never told me the choice would destroy myself and those around me. The devil never told one of my friends that the choice to get into that car that night as they ploughed through that hedge that a trolley jack would come from the boot and hit him in the head and kill him stone dead. Never told one the choices he would make would make him that he would have to do a 10-year prison sentence, friends. He heard the gospel, friends, but the devil never told him that halfway through that prison sentence, friends, he would lie and die on that prison cell floor and go out into a Christless eternity forever and forever and forever. No, never told one at the age of 40. As he sat in that chair that morning, his heart would give in, and that would be the end of his life on earth. Never told another one because of the choices he made. He would do a nine-year prison sentence, and a few months after he got out, he would take his own life. Friends, I want to tell you, the devil will tell you that you're making the right choices, but these choices, I tell you, will rob you of everything that God has for you. Friends, the thief, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. He promises bright lights, but Jesus says there's only one way that road is leading. It's leading to destruction. Here's two men, and they've chosen a hopeless path, and because they've chosen a hopeless path, they've now found themselves in a hopeless place. Where's that place? They're being crucified. They've made bad choices, and these choices have caught up with them. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You might say, Brent, I can sin and get away with it. Friends, you might say, friends, I, 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 can, I can do whatever I like. I'm smart and I'll get away with it. I know all about this devil. I can stay on the clean side of the broad road, friends. I can sin and do whatever I want. Friends, I want to tell you, you're going to be the first. He says, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. 
Friends, be not deceived. God shall not be mocked whatsoever you reap. Also that shall you sow. Be sober, be vigilant, for you have an enemy that goes about like a roaring lion seeking to devour your life. The Bible says, be not deceived. Where's all this trouble coming from in their lives? It's coming from bad choices and now the choices have caught up with them. And now they're in a hopeless place. You ask, why do you say that? Their choices have brought them to be crucified. The devil pays bad wages. They're in a hopeless place. You see, they're not only being crucified, but look at the condition that they're in. No one can help them. The world has washed their hands of them. They can do nothing to help themselves. They can't even do anything that religion tells them to do. They can't do anything that religion says to get help. They think about it. Religion says clean up your act. They can't. Religion says get baptized. They can't. Religion says join the church. They can't. Religion says take the Lord's Supper. They can't. Religion says give. They can't. Religion says make restitution. They can't. It's a hopeless situation and a hopeless case. Friends, that's why I love to share the gospel. I see people and their lives are robbed and broken and battered, but I love to tell them there's a Christ that can set them free and turn their life around in an instant. You see, the one who is rejected by society is accepted by the Savior. The one the world won't accept, Christ saves. The one the world won't touch, the Lord Jesus transforms. The man or woman society criticizes, Christ cleanses. My friends tonight, do you feel like you're a lost cause? Someone here tonight and you feel like you're carrying a stigma. You've maybe got a name for yourself, friends. There's a stain in your name. There's a black mark on your character. I wonder, has society rejected you? Have your friends turned their back on you? My friend, tonight I want to assure you that Christ said he's the friend of sinners. And he wants to take you. And he wants to cleanse you. And he wants to change. And he wants to transform your life. For if any man be in Christ, He's a new creature. All the old things, they certainly pass away and everything becomes new. Those that choose Christ can be set free and everything can be changed. Friends, three crosses on that day. On one side, the cross of rejection. The other side, the cross of reception. And in the center cross, the cross of redemption. One man dying because of sin. One man dying to sin. And the other man dying for sin. Friends, what choice Will you make? Will you be deceived by sin? Will you let the thief steal and wreck and destroy your life? Jesus said, He's come to steal, to kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. They were deceived about sin, but you see, friends, they were also deceived. These men were also deceived about the person of Jesus Christ. Luke 23 and verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. See, friends, just like many, he was deceived about who Jesus was. He wasn't convinced that Jesus was the Savior. He, some, like some, so many with all the trouble and all the torment in their lives, they're not convinced that Jesus can save them. They see the mess of their lives. They feel the pain. They suffer the sorrow. They struggle through this life, friends. But, friends, if God, they say things, if, if there's a God, why have I never seen him? If there's a God, why can't I hear his voice? If there's a God, why is my life the way it is? If there's a God, why is the world in such a mess? And then they put a big question mark over who Jesus is. Why doesn't he wave a magic wand over my life and make it better? If you're the Christ, why don't you prove it? If you, why don't you just satisfy my curiosity and do a little magic trick on my life? Friends, I want to tell you tonight, friends, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. At the same time, the Bible tells us that he's the God of the, he's God's son. The Bible says he's the only savior. The Bible says he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. He's the one mediator between man and God. The Bible says he died for your sins and for mine. The Bible says he rose again according to the scriptures. The Bible says he entered into heaven. Now to appear in the presence of God. And the Bible says he's coming back again. Friends, he is the savior of the world tonight. Jesus is who he says he is. But this man was deceived not only about who he was, he was deceived about Christ's power and Christ's salvation. He says, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. 
In other words, if you're really who you say you are, why don't you get down off that cross and help me? This man has the idea, like most, that being saved is from your present circumstances and predicament. We say things like, Lord, can you not see how miserable I am? Can you not see the difficulty in my life? Can you not see my world is upside down? Can you not see the pain that I'm really in? And how often it is that we want saved from our problems. We want saved from our troubles. Lord, now do just do the decent thing and come down from that cross and save me. Friends, many times I called on God to get me out of trouble. Tim mentioned it this morning. Many times I called on him to get me out of jail. Friends, by the grace of God, he did help me many times. I believe that I didn't go to jail. Many times I called on him. Friends, by the mercy of God, he did. But one time I remember it as clear as day. Kept refusing the grace of God. One day I sat in my wee bed. It wasn't even my, it was Nathan's bed in his, in his room. My life was an absolute mess. I just called out to God, will you save me? Will you help me? Friends, I never got saved that day. But friends, God wasn't wanting to get me out of my mess. Two years later, he wanted to save my eternal soul. So often we want to be saved from our predicament. Friends, Christ wants to save you from your sin. He wants to lift you out of the dung heap. He wants to lift you out of that rubbish heap of your life. And friends, he wants to find that you find yourself in and he wants to make something beautiful out of that life. So often we only want to be saved from our predicament. Only wanting out of our present bother. Only concerned about the here and now and the present circumstances. Never really thinking about eternity. Never really understanding the gospel that Jesus needed to stay on that cross and offer up his life as a sacrifice for sins. Always thinking we can be saved some other way than the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. But friends, I want to tell you tonight, there's no other way. There's no other way you can be saved. The wee song says there was no other good enough to pray the price for sin. Jesus only can unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. If thou art the Christ, save thyself and us. Friends, Jesus Christ had to stay on the cross, not just to save you from your present circumstance, but to pay the price for all sin. Christ came to set the captive free. Christ came to save your eternal soul. Maybe that's you tonight. You've rejected the Savior. You're not sure his power can save you. You're not sure he can keep you. But friends, I want to tell you something tonight. There's hope for the hopeless. I serve a God who specializes in hopeless situations. There's nothing too hard for him. There's no prison too dark. There's no chain that's too tight. Friends, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to every problem. Friends, Jesus is the answer, friends, to everything in this world. The answer isn't another relationship. The answer is in Jesus Christ. Whatever life brings, Jesus is always the answer. He's the answer to all your failures. He's the answer to your marriage. He's the answer to your job, to whatever you're looking for to try and find fulfillment in this life, friends. I want to tell you tonight that Jesus is the answer. There is only one answer. And that answer is Jesus Christ. He's the only answer to satisfy your soul. The only answer to the fulfillment when you come to him. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the captives free. He can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Many choices to be made in this life. But at the end of it all, friends, the only choice that will matter is did you make the ultimate choice? Did you choose the Lord Jesus Christ? Three crosses. Friends, but I just for a moment want you to see for a moment this other cross of this man, this cross of confession. Luke 23 and 39, And one of the malefactors which were hanged reeled in him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the, con the same condemnation? This man is suffering the most horrible death on a cross. And what does he say? Does thou not fear God? This man's thought was probably, what more can God do to me? What more can God do to him than, it, than what he is already going through? And that might be your thoughts tonight. What more can God do to me that, is, that isn't already happening to me? What can be more unbearable than the pain I'm already in? But friends, I want to tell you, this man knows something a lot of new age liberal professors and teachers don't seem to understand. 
They don't seem to understand that there's something after this life. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. This man knows there's more to come. He knows that after his death he's going to have to meet God. The book of Hebrews says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There is more after this life, friends. You have an eternal soul that will never perish. You have an eternal soul that will go on for all of eternity, either in heaven, if you trust Christ, or in hell, if you reject him. This man knows and understands, and he says, Does thou not fear God? Seeing we are in the same condemnation. And then he says, And we indeed justly receive the reward of our deeds. We justly receive the reward of our deeds. You see, friends, this sinner is saying, I'm getting what I deserve. Friends, I want to tell you, when a preacher or evangelist hears these words, he knows that something's about to pick up. The preacher knows when he hears the words, I'm wrong, something is about to happen. Because what happens is most people want to say, well, it wasn't my fault. It was my mother's fault. She dropped me on my head when I was a baby. It was my wife's fault. It was my husband's fault. It was society's fault. It was my children's fault. It was God's fault. But friends, when a sinner is about to say, it's my fault, business is about to pick up. But you know what we're living in today? We're we're in a day when it's hard to find somebody that is wrong. It's hard to find people who will admit they're guilty in the day that we live. It's hard to find someone who will say, I've done wrong. You know what it's hard to find? It's hard to find somebody that's lost. But he didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick. He came for those that were in need of a Savior. But friends, I want to tell you tonight, the Bible's still true. There's still a right and there's still a wrong. And God has laid it out in this word. But this man is going to get some help. Because he says, I'm wrong. He says, we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. This point, I start to wonder, what is it that this man has suddenly seen? The other man is reeling him. The other man is deceived by sin. The other man is deceived who Jesus Christ is. But what is it? says even this man rallied against him. But suddenly... He saw something that everybody else didn't see. The multitude were saying, save thyself and save us. If I be the Christ, get down to that cross, mocking and ridiculing the Savior. Isn't everybody mocking and ridiculing the Savior? Isn't the majority going one way? But Jesus said, there's few that'll find this way. Everybody's going that way, but there's few that'll find this way. What did this man see? This man is going to get some help. At first it says he reeled upon Christ. But what was it that he saw? Commentators will try to explain the way the miracles in the Bible. They'll try to explain away the supernatural. They'll say things like this man must have met Jesus at one time. Before to have made this statement. But I don't read that anywhere in the Bible. Listen as far as I know this man only ever heard Jesus say one thing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The essence of the gospel, friends, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but through him that they might be saved. Did he see the Savior for who he, was, for who he really was? Did he see the silence of Christ? That he was oppressed and afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. Did he see the sovereign saving grace of God? That he was a lamb that was led to the slaughter? He's heard one statement. Not one statement from the lips of Christ. From the words of Christ has changed his heart forever. Friends, what is it that changes a man's heart? Very simply, it's the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. How do I know? I ask you, Will, how did any of you get saved in this room? You heard the word of God through the Bible. 
You did, friends. You knew you were a sinner. Some preacher somewhere preached it to you. One day somewhere, whether it be in church, whether it be in the bedside, walking home drunk somewhere, the Word of God brought faith into your life and your heart. And just like this man, you wondrously and gloriously got saved. The Word of God came and produced faith in your life. I testify often, brought up as a young boy, hearing the sound of the gospel, knowing that I was a sinner, knowing that Christ paid the price for my sin, knowing that he died and that he was coming back again. But at the 27 years of age, as I sat in that wee flat with a life that had been wrecked and ruined by sin, nowhere left to turn, everything seemed hopeless. As I sat there and I told Tim that night, I didn't want it to be this way, that I was wrong. Friends, friends, the only words I remember coming forth were, Brent, your life is the consequences of your sin. But I want to tell you that God can change everything of that life all around. And friends, the Word of God produced faith in this life. And from that moment onwards, my life has never been the same. Friends, there's another voice that might be coming to you tonight. As you get up in the morning, it's maybe saying, why are you getting up? There's maybe a voice that's saying, why are you living this life? It's hopeless. There's maybe a voice, friends, and it's telling you, friends, you're never going to get what you had back. There's maybe a voice and it's crying, it's finished. There's maybe a voice and it's telling you it's finished, it's over, and it's hopeless. And that's maybe the opinion of those around you. It's maybe the opinion of your family. It's maybe the opinion of your old friends, friends. But friends, I want to tell you, the voice will come, the devil will come. He'll tell you that it's finished, that it's finished that it's finished and it's over. But friends, I want to tell you, there's one more voice that you need to hear. And it says the same words, but in a different context. He raised his arms on that center cross and he cried, it is finished. It is finished. It's finished. The thief has come to steal, to kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. What he's saying, basically, it is finished, is finished. Does that make sense to you tonight? He says, come tonight, come to me tonight. And every voice that says it is finished, is finished. Every place of death is finished. Everyone that says you can't, it's finished. Everyone that says it's hopeless, it's finished. The one that died on the cross for you and paid the price for your sin, for your captivity, cries with a loud voice, it is finished. Friends, Jesus is the only answer. There's hope for the hopeless tonight. He saw the holiness of Christ. He saw the silence of Christ. He heard the prayer of Christ. Father, forgive them for what they do. He felt the sweetness of Jesus Christ and saw for the very first time a love that only God can give. As he views the death of Christ and he sees the dying Savior, he recognizes who Christ is. He saw virtues in Jesus Christ. That he never saw in any other man. Vices in other men he never saw in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow the Spirit of God took the scales from off his eyes and he saw Christ in his true light. He saw the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. See, friends, if we were to take Jesus tonight and we were to put him under a microscope and cut him open like a diamond, you know what you would find? No fault, no failure. No flaws, no hidden things, no darkness, no need for suspicion, no guessing. Is Christ going to save you, friends? And the reason is because he's God. Christ was not God because he was sinless. He was sinless because he was the, he was the, the God, the Son. That's why you can trust him tonight. That's why you can put your full confidence in him tonight because he's the sinless, spotless Son of God that died for your sins that you might go free. There was none other that could have done it. He says, this man has done nothing amiss. He's chosen. But there's one last thing I want you to see. He's chosen a hopeless path. He's come to a hopeless place. But he breaks out in a hopeful prayer. This man was dying in sin, totally and utterly hopeless. And he looked over to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He not only saw him as the sinless son of God, 
he saw him as the saving son of God. He began to cry, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Think about it, friends. Right at that moment, the dying thief was the only man in the world willing to call the man in the center cross, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Everyone else at that time, if thou be the Christ, come down and save thyself. But with this man, there were no ifs, there were no buts, there were no ands. Jesus Christ was Lord, and he said, remember me. See, friends, if I believe, I believe if he had died at that moment, the Lord would have took him straight to paradise. For the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. This is how simply you're saved tonight. Don't allow the devil to confuse and complicate it. Here's a man whose hours are numbered, whose grave is ready, whose soul is hovering on the brink of eternity. But he simply cries, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I mean, was this not an amazing example of faith? I mean, Jesus never looked any less like the king than he did on that cross. I mean, his throne was a cross. His diadem was a crown of thorns. His scepter, his royal scepter was a bloody nail. And his court was a mob of mockers. But this thief seen him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he said, Lord, will you remember me? Mm-hmm. Friends, have you ever done that? You know, God remembers you. God knows everything about you. Jesus knows all about our troubles. Have you ever done that? Have you ever lifted up your voice and said, redeem me? Lord, will you save me? Lord, will you forgive me? It's not a very long prayer. It's not a very elementary prayer. It's not a very flowery prayer. But friends, I want to tell you it's a good prayer. I want to tell you it's the right prayer. And I want to tell you it's prayed to the right person. He's asking the Lord to remember him. He's asking for something in faith. He's asking for something that he doesn't deserve. If you remember in the Old Testament, the phrase is often used, and we heard it this morning, Hannah said, will you remember me? The phrase is often used, God, will you remember? Or God remembered his people. You'll find it, it says, God remembered Noah. God remembered Rebekah and opened her womb. God remembered his covenant with Israel. And friends, when the Bible speaks of God remembering, it's not speaking of some old fuddy-duddy who's absent-minded and forgets things. Oh, I forgot all about Noah in the ark. Oh, I forgot all about that baby that I'd promised Abraham and Sarah and the one that had promised Rebekah. I forgot my covenant with my people. A God who says, oh dear, I forgot. No, friends, when the Bible speaks about God remembering, the Bible is saying God decides to bless someone and do something for them. Hannah was looking a blessing. This man looks over to Christ and says, Lord, remember me. Who was it that does all the remembering? It's God. This man is asking Jesus to do what God does. I think he realized who Jesus is. He says, Lord, remember me. He's no right to ask. You might even say with the life he's lived, he has no right to ask. People will tell you, no, 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 you don't. You've lived that sort of life. You can't bother God. But friends, he has the same right as you or me. Whenever he asked, whenever we asked, we didn't ask God to save us because we were worthy. We didn't ask God to save us because we were wonderful. We didn't ask God to save us because we deserved to be saved. None of us had the right, but we asked because of his amazing and wonderful grace. We just threw ourselves at the mercy of Jesus. We never said, I'll do this. We never said, I'll do that. We never said, we'll start this or we'll start that. We just came and we said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I don't deserve your love and your grace, but will you show me mercy? Will you be merciful to me, a sinner? Friends, all you have to do is ask. And that's what this man did and he had no right. But what happened when he asked? Remember, he's hopeless. It's hopeless. Here's the first thing it says. And Jesus said unto him, 
And Jesus said unto him. You see, I'm sure there was many things said about this man. I'm sure there was probably many things said behind his back or behind him. But it says that Jesus said unto him. Friends, there's people in this world that won't even answer you. They won't even look at you. They won't even acknowledge you. You know what will happen when you call upon Jesus? He'll answer you. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. I said he'll answer you. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then Jesus said this, Verily, verily. Know what that word means? It means truthfully. Truthfully. Remember, this man's a thief. Have you ever heard the saying, You can't trust a thief? Or there's no honor among thieves? Do you ever reckon this man had been lied to by people that were around him? Have you been lied to? Have you been let down? Has this world trampled all over the top of you? Do you reckon this man's been promised things that have never come through? Friends, that's what man does. But Jesus begins his promise with this. I'm telling you the truth, son. Friends, let me tell you something about God. He always tells the truth. We heard it this morning. God cannot lie. Truthfully, truthfully. You can build your life upon God's promises. You can bring them to the bank. You can count on it if God said so and Jesus said so. The request was, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The request was, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The answer was, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Friends, do you see how much better the answer was than the request? He said, remember me. And Jesus said, how about go with me? He said, remember me. And he said, remember me when? And Jesus said, how about today? He said, when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, ah, son, we're not talking kingdoms. We're talking about paradise. Paradise is better than kingdom. You see, you can have rebellion and uproar and fighting and sorrow and pain in kingdom. There's sickness and sadness in kingdom. There's all sorts of bother in kingdom. But I want to tell you, there's nothing bad. There's nothing wrong in paradise. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know what he got? He got better than what he had ever asked for. It's like Paul said, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. You say, Brent, I'm hopeless. I don't know how it can all work out. Then do you want, do what this man did. Get honest with God. Cry out a prayer of mercy and see if God won't go above and beyond even what we ask or think. Because the Bible says he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly better than that. I tell you, even better than he's willing to do. You say, Brent, I don't deserve help like that. Either did I. Either did this man. But I want to tell you, everyone gets more than what they've been hoping for. You say kingdom. He says paradise. This man got exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. When we speak on Luke 16 and the man in hell, we like to say 2,000 years. That man is still 2,000 years later. That man is still looking a drink of water to cool his tongue. But let me say this, this also 2,000 years later. This ex-thief is still rejoicing in, still, in heaven and he's still there. You know, this man's soul was in heaven before the undertaker even knew he was dead. This was the last man that Jesus saw on earth. But it was the first man that he welcomed into glory. God says he's no respecters of persons. Why wouldn't he do the same for you? You say, Brent, tonight I know a cause that is close to my heart. And it's hopeless. There's hopeless cases. Someone in my family's hopeless. My home is hopeless. My situation is hopeless. Friends, let me remind you from this text. We serve a God who specializes in hopeless cases. There's hopeless cases. Everybody here knows a hopeless case. But I just I printed this off tonight. Where is it? 
And I just read this, I came across this wee story when I was studying this out. There was a man, a preacher called John Mitchell, apparently very famous in America. Now when he was born, he was born premature. They told his mother he was going to die. I just, I, brought, I just brought this tonight because whenever Tim was speaking about Hannah and the altar, I just thought this was very significant. They told his mother he was going to die. And just that vow. So, he, so his mother took him down to the church in a little shoebox. We're talking about hopeless cases. You know a hopeless case. They're too far gone. There's not enough. It just seems totally impossible. But this woman, she brought the, the little boy that was premature down to the altar in a shoebox. And she prayed, Lord, they tell me this boy's going to die. But I don't want him to die. I want him to live. And she said, Lord, I want you to raise my boy. And I want you to save his life. And then she said this, Lord, if you raise him up, not that I'm going to make him a I want you to make him a preacher. So John Mitchell grew up in that godly home with that godly mother, but he didn't want anything to do with God. Somewhere in his late teens. He was walking down the road the one day. And he saw a man jump on a freight train. In a car at a railroad station. He was a type of a hobo. Or a homeless man. And John Mitchell got the idea in his head. That that's what I want to do. I want to travel the world on a freight train. He went home. Packed a bag. Went to a railroad station. And he waited for a slow train to come. And he threw and he jumbled onto a freight car. And from that day for years and years, his mother never knew where he was or if he was alive or dead. He would go from city to city riding the freights and he said, if I ever thought about my mother, he said, it was like I had a switch in my head. I could just click it off and I wouldn't think about her again. He just turned it off. Anytime the conviction of God came, just like Emma often testifies, I just turned it off. But one day, he pulled into Houston, Texas one morning in a freight car and there were security guards going along the train, found him and threw him off. Pouring with rain, he went to Houston and when he was in Houston, he says he found a back alley and there was water on the ground running and there were three rubbish bins and a big piece of cardboard. So he crawled up onto the bins to get up out of the water and just as he was about to pull the piece of cardboard up over his chest like a blanket, but because of the way he was lying, he was looking up and he pulled that cardboard up. And as he saw, as he pulled it up, he saw a woman on the second floor of the apartment block that was across from him. And a building. And he saw a woman walk in front of that window and he saw her hold her hands together. And he says, when I saw her fold her hands, I knew that she was praying. And he says, when I realized she was praying, I started to think about mum. He says, I couldn't find the switch and I couldn't turn it off. He remembered everything his mother had taught him. The verses, the songs, everything, the prayers says. It all came flooding back into his mind. And somewhere between two and six in the morning, he rolled off the rubbish bins on his knees in that water and that alley and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. But he got up and he says, I tried to find somewhere to call my mother said, I found a man in a store. The door was locked. The man said, we're not open. And John Mitchell says, I need to call my mother. I've got saved. The man said, you've got saved. He says, yes, I've got saved. The man let him in and gave him some money. Went to the payphone, dialed the number. She said, hello. He said, mama. He said, as soon as he said, mama, he heard the phone receiver fall down and hit the wall. He said, I heard my mother running in the house, making laps. She was shouting, hallelujah. My boy got saved. He said, I never told her I got saved. I just said, Mama, and she knew. He said, I heard her making laps as she passed the phone shouting, Hallelujah, my boy got saved. This preacher apparently preached all over this world on the radio. And who knows how many are in heaven because he preached. But friends, God remembered the vow. But you know what somebody would have said about John Mitchell as he was riding those trains. Hopeless. They would have shook their heads. And they would have said. Hopeless. What would they have said about you or me? Hopeless. You say preacher I'm hopeless. Someone in my family's hopeless. 
My home is hopeless. My situation is hopeless. Friends, I want to tell you tonight, I deal with a God who specializes in hopeless cases. Friends, I don't say any of this to glorify me in any way. All the glory belongs to God. Before I got saved, I want to tell you everything in my life was a mess. It was absolutely hopeless. Everyone around me thought it was hopeless. When Tim phoned that policeman, I love Constable Donnelly. <laughs> We're good mates now. And he asked my second name. He said, don't worry about his second name. It's bad news. It's hopeless. Friends, I want to tell you, God has taken this life and done exceedingly abundantly above all that I could even ask or even thought. That night I give my life to the Lord. Tim, as you sat in that bed in that hospital, drink and yourself to near death, before you met God in that Jamaican church, I think it was in London, Healing, London, was it? What would they have said? What would your mom have said? It's hopeless. But look at what he's done to the glory of God, exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Stephen Nixon drinking and fighting his way around Belfast before he got convicted in the pub that evening and God found him bleeding and dying in Brever Drive. What would they have said? It's hopeless. But look at what God has done. They often think of Ralph Gunn, tell people about Ralph Gunn all the time. What would they have said of this man, a man completely out of his mind, sitting in hotel receptions, believing that he was the king of Scotland? But one night in a prison cell, God spoke to him. He gave his life to Christ, and his life was never the same. They would have said he was hopeless. I'm telling you tonight, we have a God who specializes in hopeless cases. With God tonight, you're not hopeless. Paul are praying for our family, praying for Grandi Yazin, younger Yazin, praying for Marcus. Friends, it looks hopeless. But we deal with a God who specializes in hopeless situations. Thinking of Elaine's mom and dad, she's not here tonight. But friends, it looks hopeless. Dressed up in their own religious rags. But friends, God deals in hopeless situations. The cherry lads, hopeless. But I want to tell you, God's going to save them. Because he deals in hopeless situations. With God tonight you're not hopeless. Your children aren't hopeless. Your family aren't hopeless. Because I believe when he speaks. When God speaks. See friends we can come out with many words and many arguments. But I just believe the Lord revealed it to me. Whenever he speaks. It's going to make a difference. That's what changes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When he speaks. They need to hear everything changes. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. So why don't we ask him tonight? Why don't we say, Lord, I know this person. Why don't we say, I know this situation. Maybe it's yourself. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But why don't we ask him, Lord, will you remember me? Will you remember me? Do think God's forgot about the prayers? Do think God's forgot about the vows? Think God's forgot about you? Jesus knows all about our troubles. Why don't we ask him, would you remember me? And find out what he can do. Because the Bible says he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. You know, unsaved friends, salvation is not a hope-so salvation. It's not a guess-so salvation. It's a no-so salvation. You know, Jesus said today, Today, I shall be with me in paradise. And he gives the same assurance tonight. He says, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that has sent me shall pass from death unto life. Some people say it's a presumptuous thing to say that you're saved. They say things like, I don't know if you can really know until you die. Friends, I want to tell you that's a little too close for comfort for me. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven before I die. Lord, remember me. Today, I shall be with me in paradise. The word of God, friends, says it. That settles it, and I believe it. No soul sleep, no purgatory. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a hope the church has. There's hope for the hopeless. Friends, will we come tonight? Will we ask God?
Will you remember me? Will you remember my family? Lord, will you do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think? It says, God remembered. God remembered Noah. God remembered what he'd done. God remembered that faith. God remembered Sarah. God remembered his covenant that he'd made with his people. He's not some fuddy-duddy, friends. He hasn't forgotten about us. He remembers every word that he's promised us in this book. Shall they not all come to pass, the Bible says? Every single one of them. As we'll come tonight, just simply ask God, will you remember me? Will you remember my family? Will you remember my son? Will you remember my mom? Will you remember my dad? They asked, and they knew that God was going to bless. Didn't God bless Hannah with that son? And a revival came. God, will you remember us? Friends, if you're not saved tonight, get saved. The thief has come to steal, to kill and destroy, but Christ has come to give you life. The greatest choice that a man or a woman will ever make is to choose the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.